You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. Discussions of an adult nature, adult language, and spoilers for the films discussed are most likely. Still on board? Come on in. Enjoy your stay. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, welcome back. It is now episode 115 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. And I am your host, Lee, an endless junkyard of orbiting debris, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. I'm right here inside you, inside your body, Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm quite well, and hopefully I do not have a tiny capsule with Dennis Quaid inside. Although, if that means I get to make out with Meg Ryan, you know... Uh, I can I can negotiate that for sure. As long as it's not a capsule with Dennis Quaid's skeleton floating in your body. I think I think even Dennis Quaid's skeleton. It, as long as I get to make out with Meg Ryan a little extra, you know. And yeah. if it's you know 1987 era Meg Ryan, certainly that would uh, that would also improve things. But what if you have to have Martin Short's face? Uh, Martin Short's 1987's face or yeah. Martin Short like today's face because uh, you know I think both are equally horrific <laughs> <laughs> well if I had Martin Short's face and a floating uh, Dennis Quaid in me I could make myself look like Robert Picardo and then I could make a lot of money going to uh, Star Trek conventions so yeah. <laughs> we'd be fine you know <laughs> Star Trek conventions with bronzer and speaking a horrifying uh, fake Spanish accent. But we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're continuing our sci-fi series here, our uh, mostly 80s weirdo fucking sci-fi stuff. And uh, we're going to be looking at inner space and batteries not included, both from 1987. But before we get into that, we do have a listener comment, so we're going to get to that really quick. And this is from our Bad Day at BlackRock uh, episode, posted on our YouTube version of that. And this is from Shadowman4710. And he says, yeah, I'm a huge fan of both Spencer Tracy and Robert Ryan, and I absolutely love this film. I agree that it comes off as a classic Western that's been moved into a more modern setting and adjusted to fit the times. Tracy is at his best here, while Ryan one of the most criminally underrated actors of the 20th century, which I agree with, managed to really convey a sense of fear and weakness underneath his bravado. Really great film. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agreed, yeah. See, we didn't even have to record a podcast episode. We could have just asked that guy, and um, he summed it up perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) We're wasting our time. Shadow Man, take over for us. All we need is is four sentence long synopses. We'll just release those in in lieu of podcast episodes, and everybody will basically be fine with that. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll do episodes it. where all we do is read the synopsis that he writes for it, but yeah. we'll still do the like what we've been watching segment and everything, right? And then we just move into, and then we have a thirty second. Oh, and these are the movies, and yeah, we agree. And that way, our episodes will actually still be about an hour and a half because we'll, <laughs> we'll spend an hour talking about Marvel movies, apparently, and then. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> I mean, that's the way to go, really. You know, that's yeah. what that's what the audience is clamoring for is more talk about the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but speaking of stuff we watched lately, uh, we'll move over into that. Oh, uh, wow, so, look at that segue. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fucking professional, I tell you, man. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 Daniel. <laughs> uh, Tell people what you've watched in the last little while. I did watch the uh, Netflix original film, Right. Okay. Uh, And dear God, is this thing a piece of fucking shit? Yes. I saw some commentary at the, you know, calling it the worst film of 2017 because it was was released right at the end of 2017. And I I saw that kind of on Twitter kind of going around and I'm like, oh, come on, seriously, it can't be like, it's going to be, it's not going to be good, but it can't be that bad. And, Oh dear God! Is this movie fucking bad? Is, is that not like? Isn't it like the most? <laughs> I want to. I want to cover this film. It's that bad. Like, yeah. like this is this thing is a. Tr- I want to do a live com of this movie and just talk about how shitty every single element is with a handful of clever ideas interspersed within it. You should. This you could teach lessons on how not to write movies. And how not to direct action scenes and how not to build character drama based on this film. This is the platonic <laughs> ideal of like every bad decision you can possibly make in a film thrown into one uh, stew. And then apparently it made a bunch of money for Netflix. So there's got to be a sequel. And oh, yeah. Isn't that great, yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's already on my best of, or best of worst of list for this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's no, no, not... it's, it's, it's fucking atrocious. And I don't even really, I, I do, I do actually want to uh, go into some more detail with you when we can talk about it together. And I've seen it a little bit more recently because I saw it a couple weeks ago. So I wanted to save that, but like, I do want to say it's educationally bad. That's how bad this thing is. Yeah. We honestly, I think that's a good idea. We should we should plan for a uh, commentary episode and watch this piece of shit and just <laughs> yeah dissect it because it's start, it is garbage. Start the film to drink in as well because you, you have right. to in order to get through this fucking thing. It's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's really bad. Um, the other thing I wanted to, I wanted to talk about at least I watched quite a few things, but nothing that I really want to chat about too much. Maybe we'll cover them in future weeks. But I saw this film; it's on Amazon Prime. For free, if you if you're on Amazon Prime, and you can watch for free. So I hate saying it's on Amazon Prime; you can watch for free, but you had to pay for Amazon Prime. Yeah, you know? and it's it's called Slash, and uh, this is a movie. It's from last year. It's a, a sort of romantic dramedy kind of teenage come of age story about this guy who gets way into writing slash fiction about this sort of fictional, you know, kind of sci-fi character called the Vanguard and this sort of girl that he meets who also writes slash. It's kind of overly broad comedy. It's kind of kind of cleverly observed. It's very interesting film. It does some interesting things with the sort of sexuality and because it, it seems like kind of all the, you know, both the our lead and his sort of maybe girlfriend character are, are kind of you know questionably queer. I mean, there there's definitely some bisexuality kind of stuff going on, mm-hmm. but it's not kind of kind of signposted. Um, Michael Ian Black shows up in the film and uh, in a in a role that will definitely kind of make you re envision who you think Michael Ian Black can be. Um, I, I don't even know who that is. So <laughs> Michael Ian Black is he's one of the guys from the state. Um, if you've seen like Wet Hot American Summer, he's one of those guys. Okay, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, uh, if you he he was on a bunch of Reno nine one one as kind of a, a guest star. It's kind of hard to like pinpoint a particular role you'll know him for. But if you Google his name, you'll probably like go, oh, I'll I know probably who that see guy his is. face. Yeah. Yeah. You'd see his face and know who he is. He ends up playing this super creepy guy who's kind of running a comic book kind of convention. That there's, I don't know. This is not a great film. It's on my list to possibly be in my top ten of the year. 
not because it's perfect, but because it's interesting. I mean, it's a deeply flawed film, but I think it honestly steps right more than it steps wrong in a lot of really intricate places. And it only steps wrong in, in some, some sort of stuff towards the end and uh, some characters who kind of become superfluous. And there's some there's some stuff going on that. But for the most part, it's actually way better than it has any right to be. And uh, it's not really laugh out loud funny, except for in like a couple of places. And that's kind of knowing Internet culture stuff, which right. isn't like inside Internet culture. But there is a little bit of the like, like the dude sends a message and then he's, oh, no, am I going to get a response back? And there's a very, you know, kind of the, the, the interactions that people have are very much like meeting people online kind of stuff. So if you've been online for a while and if you're a podcast listener, I assume you spent a lot of time on the Internet because that's just my assumption. I think you might get something out of this film. It's interesting. You know, I don't want to oversell it, but it's definitely way better than it has any right. And I would, I would recommend checking it out. <laughs> that, that's how you do suspense in modern movies, a character waiting for a text message. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, when you see when you see the little thing where, like, the little bar is, like, filling mm-hmm. up and you know they're typing something and then, like, oh, no, what are they going to, you know, that's, I'm inside the house. That's the, that's that's how tension gets. The most, yeah. the most frustrating one is it, it goes along for, like, five minutes and then it's, like, a one-word response. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what well, the fuck? The worst one is when it shows up and then goes away, and then shows up, and then mm-hmm. goes away, and then like you don't get a response for ten minutes, and then you get the one word response. That's the you yeah. know they were considering that response. They think yeah. I'm an asshole. That's what that is. <laughs> or when it's just yeah, I agree. Yeah, fuck you. No, you don't. Yeah, you don't agree. <laughs> you, you're just being nice at that point. Yeah. So the only thing I watched uh, recently uh, just popped up in Canadian Netflix. I don't know if it's on the U.S. one. Ghost in the Shell, the the live action uh, mm-hmm. adaptation with Scarlett Johansson. I basically just watched this because I was kind of interested in seeing where the, because, uh, you know, this is one of those movies that sort of got that whitewashing accusation yeah. thrown against it, right? So I was kind of interested in seeing where they went with it and seeing if it was credible accusation, basically, because I was familiar with the original film and to some extent, kind of like the TV series that came from it and some of the subsequent films. And actually, the the whitewashing thing isn't particularly accurate if you actually know the sort of source material and what they're going for with the characters. It's much more about how the outside is... It actually is irrelevant to what people are really about and what their their character is. I mean, it's, it's in a world where basically race and gender can be changed about as easily as changing your socks because it's all about body modification for the most part. And I mean, the character that Scarlett Johansson is playing is it's a cybernetic body, right? And it's like a human brain implanted into that. And I mean, it's, it's clearly shown that the original form of her was actually a a Japanese girl uh, implanted into that. But uh, if you're, if you're familiar with the original anime and I don't know if you are or not, I'm I've, I've seen it a number of times, not recently, but I've seen it. Yeah. It it really doesn't it really doesn't touch too much upon that sort of identity question. A lot of anime is really kind of weird and skewed anyway, because a lot of the characters don't really necessarily look any nationality to a certain extent. And I mean there there is a there is an argument there of how different cultures draw themselves in cartoons and how they envision them. I mean you, you can make the argument that Japanese people would watch that and go and then totally identify that yes she's Japanese. Whereas uh, a Westerner would say, oh no, she looks white to me, you know? 
right. the, there there is a deeper discussion there but I, I think given the ideas be, behind the source material if you actually watch the original uh, animated films the, the sort of whitewashing thing really is only valid in the fact that they needed to cast Scarlett Johansson to try to sell this movie for yeah the I mean and I, and I think that's the I mean that's kind of as far as it goes in a lot of ways is mm-hmm. that I mean you can always like write a justification into yeah. you know like it's sci-fi film oh gender doesn't matter and and you know race doesn't matter so obviously white person is gonna be you know well you know even if you were gonna like talk i mean you know it is sort of you can it's all on how you use it and i, I haven't I think I that... seen it i i, I just kind of like i think i think people just saw like ghost in the shell this classic work of japanese animation starring blonde white girl you know essentially mm-hmm. although yeah, she, yeah, she yeah. has dark hair for the you know and, and i think that's as far as you need to go to kind of go of course it does because it's Hollywood. So it's less like an, an indictment of Ghost in the Shell, the film for doing it, and more like, well, this is just how Hollywood works, right? You know. Mm-hmm. So. And I mean, to be fair, I, I don't think this movie would have necessarily made any more money if it was a Japanese actress that was cast as, as the lead role, because right. it's really not all that good. <laughs> it, I would say it's probably the better version of Johnny Mnemonic. To a certain extent, like yeah, yeah. Well, the Bonnick is legitimately good, though. So you know that's. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I have to agree with that. Here, here's the thing: visually, it actually does recapture the the animated movies very well. Yeah. It stays within the sort of spirit of those things. The biggest problem is it tries to relate too much to a Western audience, where it gives more of a traditional story, where it's almost like the RoboCop story, where uh, mm. she's trying to discover her identity and stuff, which actually isn't a big piece of the actual anime. Like it, it's very much more obtuse in the anime. It's very much more hinted at than it is in this film where it just directly becomes her trying to reconnect with the person she was before she was stuck into the robot body and stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and in that extent, it's kind of shallow and a little hollow. The action scenes are pretty good. They're not overblown. The CGI looks good. The villain is terribly written and it's kind of a, combination of a couple villains in a couple of the films and that's another problem with this it it tries to combine several ghost in the shell movies into one thing and it basically makes for kind of a disjointed narrative but Mm -hmm. it's not nearly as bad as people were just saying it was like a lot of people were piling on to this film and they were unfairly piling on to it some of these movies kind of become like uh just generic targets Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and I and I think that unless this movie had been really good, I think people would have embraced it. But if it was even mediocre, it basically just becomes, why did you do this to this property A? And yeah. also, you know, you turn this into like fairly generic Scarlett Johansson action picture again. Yeah, that's you know. and that that's kind of my biggest criticism of it is you didn't need to make this film because honestly, the the anime does it so much better and is much more deeper and interesting and I mean, they do an admirable job. I mean, they they recreate the anime as well as they can as a live action film. But there's no reason to do it. <laughs> it, it it does everything the anime did, including not making any money for Hollywood. It's, it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, costing a lot of money because you had to pay. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. But, yeah, no. Um, I it's been on my. Uh... One day I do want to do like the uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, action flick, uh, you know, kind of marathon and do that one in like uh, In the Skin and uh, Lucy and Right. You know. 
Uh, well, yeah, it was it uh, under the, under the skin. That's the one where she's under an alien. Skin. Or... Under the skin. Yeah, that, that that one I definitely want to check at some point. Yeah, I think we should do uh, Lucy under the skin as an episode at some point. Um, That'd be so. Nice. I've seen neither of those. I would like to. I saw Lucy advertised somewhere, and I was like, oh, that looks like you know something I should definitely check out. This sort of brainless action flick at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take a quick break for some podcasts that we love, and uh, maybe a little bit of music, and then we'll come back and talk about some movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping absolutely. up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses all things Grindhouse, Exploitation, Drive-In, and B-Movies. Your three hosts, Mike. We're, we're going to discuss the Rene Martinez-directed picture, the $6,000. What? Time, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the name of the Super movie. First soul, that's, brother. That's the name. When you that's start the movie. Your DVD cover. When you start the movie, the first thing that comes up says. is the title, and it says $6,000. Mark. And I've been around a girl stroking a horse's dick. Somehow, somewhere down the line, I'm going to use that clip against you. Shh. (laughs) Please do. And listener favorite, Iris. The deployment sock. And I'm like, deployment sock? What the fuck is a deployment sock? He goes, you know that sock that you just use? Oh my god, you guys are so gross. (laughs) See, so it happens for real. People do come inside. We'll make you question your political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop Sunday and can be found by searching for BB and BC Podcast via iTunes, Lipson, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and everywhere else you can download quality podcasts from. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at bbnbcpodcast.com.
Okay, first off, we're going to be looking at Inner Space from 1987. Test pilot Tuck Pendleton wants to make history. Supermarket clerk Jack Putter needs a vacation. Jack, Sir, I'm Jack, sorry. you're late. That's not good. You know it's coupon day. Lieutenant Pendleton is about to be miniaturized, placed into this needle, and then injected into this rabbit. Rock and roll. But something went wrong. And Tuck's about to get a new destination. Inside Jack Putter. I'm in a man. Hello, can you hear me? I'm possessed! Now, Jack's got twice the problems. How you doing, Jack? But he's double the man. With Tuck on his side. Kick more cows! In his gut. <laughs> and on his case. You're not gonna back groceries all your life, are you, Jack? And only 24 hours left for Jack to get out of danger so that Tuck can get out of Jack. <laughs> Dennis Quaid, Martin Short. Give yourself a shot of adventure. Inner Space. Directed by Joe Dante. Written by Chip Proser, Jeffrey Bohm, and Chip Proser. Why is his name credited twice? I directly cut and paste this from fucking IMDb, so I don't know why his name is credited twice. Here. IMDb, but... that perfect source that never makes any mistakes. <laughs> uh, starring Dennis Quaid as Lieutenant Tuck Pendleton, Martin Short as Jack Putter, Meg Ryan as Lydia Maxwell, Kevin McCarthy as Victor Scrimshaw, Fiona Lewis, oh my, is she not something, as Dr. Margaret Cranker, Robert Picardo as the Cowboy, Vernon Wells as Mr. Igo, and Henry Gibson as Mr. Wormwood. And the synopsis for this, basically, a scientifically miniaturized Marine unexpectedly finds himself floating around the body of a hypochondriac and trying to outwit saboteurs who want the device that shrank him. Attempts by his colleagues to retrieve the little man, protected inside a tiny submersible, are hampered by the would-be thieves. And, yeah, I guess that kind of describes the plot fairly well. I just, again, I ripped that from IMDb, so take it or leave it. <laughs> IMDb, if you want the allure of uh, authoritativeness with none of the actual reality of it, that's, yeah. that's what the Internet Movie Database has kind of always been. Yeah, and it's even more so at this point, glaringly so. <laughs> I, I, do, I do wonder if IMDb Pro... Uh, actually, like they've got people like just correcting all this shit. Like basically, <laughs> they I, fix it for a pro, but like leave it there for the uh, for the peons. It's yeah. like a special club where if you get IMD Pro, it's some big uh, bodyguard like opens a door and sort of waves you in. Yeah, come in here, motherfucker. Here's the real shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think really all you need to know about the uh, validity of the Internet Movie Database at this point is that it's one of those websites where using the app is actually worse than using it on a mobile device, which is <laughs> significantly worse than using it on the desktop version. Uh, literally, if I Google a, a name of a film and I see the IMDb link, I just keep scrolling. If there's not a <laughs> Wikipedia link, I go find something else that actually clicks yeah. on IMDb. So when's the first time you watched this, Daniel, and what are your sort of general impressions of it? 
I grew up on this film. I saw it a bunch as a kid. I had recorded it off of HBO. This was 1987 is a big year in cinema in my memory, just because I think we got HBO in 87 or 80, late 87, early 88, because there were a bunch of films from that era that I recorded and rewatched over and over again. So like The Princess Bride and this, and Batteries Included, which is the other film we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't watch quite as much, but it was something that we had that I watched a bunch. So this era of cinema, I, I know it very well. And this was one that I just loved <laughs> mm-hmm. rewatching it wow does it, it it's it's a film it's certainly a film <laughs> there's stuff to, there's definitely stuff to like about this film i kind of have this uh, lifelong love of uh, dennis quaid and i think largely because of this film meg ryan is great in this i mean mm-hmm. she's not really given a character she's definitely kind of adorable meg ryan she she's not written very well but she does what she can with it um martin short gets uh some goofy funny scenes uh mostly him kind of acting by himself and doing uh physical comedy i mean this is kind of the the key era for that for him like so you know no complaints there yeah um he does his job and then the the supporting cast like it has a really strong supporting cast uh, kevin mccarthy's in this mm-hmm. Henry gibbs is in this wendy shawl who has a bit part also in batteries included <laughs> is yeah. in this you know it's joe dante it's one of the early uh kind of joe dante films as well it definitely has this kind of a sense of wicked humor in some point some really nice special effects overall it doesn't i mean it's very this movie was made in 1987 it's kind of the ultimate <laughs> issue with it and it's kind of all over the place and it's just kind of a bizarre experience to watch you know my wife was kind of sitting and watching this with me and she's a i know exactly why you love this film as a kid i know all the things that you loved as a kid and to be this is fucking weird <laughs> this is a <laughs> weird fucking movie and it and it is it very much is and um yeah, what did you think of it? I feel like this is a film that's more excited about its side characters than it is its main cast. To yeah. to a certain extent, it's two hours long. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, it's too long. It's a, it's a little it's a little over long, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. not that things aren't happening. Like that's kind of one of those things. Like I mean, it's definitely moving. You know, there's mm-hmm. never a sense of, like it's just kind of dilly dallying. You know, it's it's always got something on its mind, some bit of action it's trying to do. But yeah, no, you could you could cut big chunks of this film just completely out of it, right? Um, largely by like if you just tell Lydia what the fuck is going on the, the second <laughs> she shows up, you yeah. know, you know, like if you just if you just said like yeah, Tuck's inside me. I mean, Tuck convinces Putter by just using the little magic electromagnet to like break his TV. You could convince Lydia that fast, I exactly. Think. Like, yeah, you know? there, and yeah. uh, there's no reason not to, except you you need that little romantic subplot that kind of. I don't know. That goes to weird places. So you know, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll it's talking about that. It's it's so weird because uh, a I mean Dennis Quaid's awesome in this. He he portrays an unlikable shit to just the nth degree. I mean, I I immediately didn't like him when I saw that his ice, all the ice he had in his whiskey, right from the opening <laughs> shot. Is I don't like this fucker. <laughs> he's he's got ice in his whiskey. I immediately don't like him. Um, well, it's it's the '80s. If you drink whiskey without ice, then you're not properly sufficient. You can't clink the glass without ice so you know it's <laughs> it's a fancy cocktail party it's just the way it goes yeah and then like five minutes later you get dense quaid's bare ass <laughs> on the yeah. street which you know that's the thing you know one thing i'll say about dennis quaid giving the given the acting challenge to basically spend three quarters of this movie sitting in a chair mm-hmm. and you know expecting to like hold an audience's attention that's not an easy thing to do and i yeah, think dennis yeah, yeah. quaid does that really really well in this you know no that's that's the, that's the weird thing because 
and and maybe this is my biggest complaint with the film because I I really do like this film a lot, but I do have issues with it. I think my biggest complaint is that this is essentially a buddy comedy. But <laughs> right. It's it's a buddy comedy done where they never share the same space together until the very end of the film. Yeah, and they also get along way too well for a buddy comedy. Like there's there's a bit of a manufactured disagreement over the affections of Meg Ryan for a little bit. But for the yeah. most part, these two just totally get along. Like they immediately kind of hit it off for the most part. And that's not how 80s buddy comedies go. Usually it's antagonism in throughout the entire film between the two I, people. I, right? I think you're right. I think I think giving them a little bit more of an antag like an like an earned antagonism rather than kind of being friends from the beginning. Oh. Um and then cutting out some of the like hypochondriac, you know, like I work in a yeah. work in, like because I think that it, the film, despite, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff you could kind of cut out from it is basically from the beginning. The stuff of, you know, where, um, I mean, it's kind of a cute little comedy moment where, you know, Martin Short is like talking to himself in an elevator, you know, <laughs> or in a waiting room. But you kind of get a little bit of that goes a long way. And, you know, we don't really need the scenes with the doctor and we don't really need the, you know, we don't really need to see his boss and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he could just be a guy who was walking around in the mall that day, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't care about his life, right? He could even have been a guy. I mean, it kind of becomes a character bit towards the end. Um, although I kind of feel like he should have wanted to be with Wendy. Okay, kind of. I kind of got there was a little bit of a vibe between them, mm-hmm. and the fact that he kind of dumps her in the same move as he quits his job and uh, and and she know. and that's the thing. She's not a throwaway character. There there are moments with Wendy where she's very self aware about yeah. what she is and what she's about and it seems like she should be <laughs> I've slept with I've slept with everybody in the grocery store except for you and you're yeah. the only one I'm remotely attracted to. <laughs> yeah, like... I mean it, it feel like it feels like there should be some sort of redemption for her there. That's, and it's that's like... kind of a better character moment than we get from anybody else in the film. And she ends up with uh with the doctor. They kind of make eyes at each other, you know, right. at the very end. And, it's like, and, uh, oh man, this is and... I, and I, just going back to the buddy comedy thing, where there should be antagonistic, it just—it doesn't feel like Pendleton should like this guy at all. And I mean, he depends on him for his survival, true. But his character is so much of a just abrasive asshole jock. Yeah. That in Flyboy, like he's basically Tom Cruise gone to fucking. Well, it's, crazy it's town. sort of—it's sort of an inversion of like his his character in the right stuff. You know, it's sort of yeah. like. It's the it's the sort of the the real life version of the the fantasy version that they painted the right stuff. You know? Yeah, but but he he should he should have to learn to love Martin Short instead of just yeah. immediately like, hey buddy, we're in this together. No, he he should be like, oh my god, I'm in this fucking geek's body. That should be his attitude, right? And you get a little bit of that. You get like moments of that here and there, but ultimately yeah. it's just. I mean, I I mean, I don't I don't have a problem with them just sort of doing the uh you know they kind of get along from the beginning, but they should kind of have a reason to. Um, I mean, I kind of wish, you know, kind of watching this, I kind of wish that Martin Short had just been a guy working at the research facility and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, had the, the thing injected in him, you know, sort of accidentally or something. So that we don't have the kind of long sequences of everything has to be explained to Martin Short over again, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, also, it's it's kind of a moment in this film where most of this film is kind of light comedy with slapstick mm-hmm. and stuff like that, where you have basically the sequence where the main scientist escapes the lab. And he gets shot by the uh, the hitman, and, and the, he's the magic robotic hitman, you know, because yeah. it's 1987, and Steven Spielberg produced this. So, you well, know. these these are all. I mean, the villains in this are all James Bond villains, yeah, 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 yeah. that, right? 
that sequence is just totally out of place with the rest of the tone of the film. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, I mean, but, but then again, like going to a mall and having a, an action scene seems to be something that the 80s did a lot. Like Commando oh, does. Commando, that. yes. Yeah. Commando, possibly the greatest use of, uh, you know, a, a sash hanging from a ceiling in a mall ever. And also a movie uh, that had Vernon Wells as one of the main antagonists in it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, because <laughs> he, he he puts on the puts on the chainmail in that one. And <laughs> right, right, God, <laughs> yeah, we have to cover that. Commando is another one that I. Oh yeah, remember. definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but there there's a lot of stuff to like about this. The science in this is totally crap. For the most yeah, part. yeah, yeah. So if you pour alcohol down my throat and yes. then like you capture a tiny bit of it, the number of atoms of alcohol don't change. It's still like the tiniest little portion of a you know. You have to miniaturize it using whatever technology they're doing, and nobody should be able to breathe non-miniaturized. No, no, air, yeah. You know? he, he made he made the argument. All he's got to do is go into the guy's lung and and breathe. No, because <laughs> there's there's no there's no established device. Well, they, they, they set up. They set up the pressure. Like, oh, the pressure would kill him. Okay, well, fine. But yeah. like, more to the point. Usually, the way we justify miniaturization in science fiction is that the space between the atoms gets reduced by some magic property. Right. Of we can just do that. That's fine. But in that case, you can't have uncompressed air, you know, because the chemistry just doesn't work. You're changing fundamental properties of it. So even like towards the end, uh, Kevin McCarthy should have like, died gasping on the floor of the, yeah. uh, you know. Like, <laughs> but I the, mean, that's the torture porn version of this film where you like right. slowly reduce somebody by like a few percent until they can like, you know, they start gasping for air. And then, oh, no, you're going to tell me the, this is like the, uh, the, the Jack Bauer version. But but I, at the same time, as much as the science is crap, I really like it because it, it does kind of maintain a really fun kind of sci-fi thing. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, you got the opening stuff where, you know, they're showing all the shit they're doing and, and, and they're bringing... Uh, they're bringing uh, Dennis Quaid in for, for, to be the test pilot and all that stuff. And they got all the, the sort of technical stuff to sort of suck you into it all. And I mean, you get that fantastic voyage uh, kind of uh, thing, uh, although much more darker, like fant- like this is very much uh, basically taking the, taking the fantastic voyage and modernizing it. So he's inside the body and, it's much darker. He's got lights on his fucking submersible mm-hmm. and, and everything. It's not like Fantastic Voyage where it was like almost psychedelic inside the body and stuff, right? right. Well, I mean, the 60s are definitely doing the like, oh, this is mind trippy. And like here, it's it's a lot more. It seems like they're actually using what was at the time really like cutting edge kind of medical imaging technology in order to give you. Mm-hmm. I mean, this the, a lot of this looks very accurate. There's a lot of like magical we can move around in the body sort of thing, you know. <laughs> All you have to do to transfer from one body to another is kiss somebody. And, you know, no matter where he was to begin with, suddenly he's in the other body now. And that shot's really gross, too, because basically what you're looking at is that submersible going between two people's spit. Yeah, <laughs> French <really>? kissing. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. I mean, uh, again, my wife was, was kind of watching this with me. And towards the end, when the uh, like the grappling hook is trying to hang on to the uh, esophageal, uh, like, yeah. Goo. And she's like, God, this is disgusting. Like, why are we watching this? And I'm like, I remember that shot as a kid even just kind of going like, yeah, yeah, that was a little like that. I'm almost almost surprised that this movie didn't go as far as to like have him go down into Martin Short's colon at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Floating around some big 
birds or something floating I, in there. I, I think I think a uh, that that would be the the slightly more lowbrow kind of more modern. That would be the now. that would be the Rick and Morty version of this, is what it. Yeah, would well, be. Rick and Morty did this. Like yeah. Rick and Morty did like the theme park inside the homeless guy thing, you know. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, the, the miniaturization stuff is, I mean, it's cool, and, and they spend a lot of time kind of, like, admiring this technology, and um, it is it is always fun to see, like, this late 80s um, sci-fi movie special effects stuff. This is what people thought was really cool. I mean, I thought it was cool when I saw it when I was a kid, and I, I mean, I admire the, the work that went into it, um, even now, kind of rewatching it. Um, it feels both like this sort of high tech environment, but a lived in environment. I love the way the scientists just sort of treat this as like this is my job. I press, you know, and then the robot arm kind of does its thing, and they do they do actually kind of look like people who work, you know, yeah, <laughs> sitting yeah. in a dark room all the time playing with numbers, and uh, you know, they're all they're all, they're all pale and white, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the loose uh, lab coats, and they're, they're they're very you know kind of they've got their coffee or they get their their their, their earpieces off on one side and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. I mean, it's, it's a you know, it, it feels like a very sort of realistic portrayal of that, you know, that kind of world. Yeah, uh, I, I also, uh, I got a kick out of how they, they had to make like a big special effects thing out of the initial miniaturization of the uh, pod, where, yeah. it, where it all went weird science all of a sudden, where everything <laughs> went crazy, right? So, I mean, the only thing it unfortunately didn't do was have a woman be stripped of her clothes and sucked up a fucking fireplace, you know? Well, you know, that that would have been done already. I mean, you know, John yeah. Hughes, John Hughes once, once John Hughes has done it, like, you just can't do it if you're John, Joe yeah, Don. I guess you know? You're kind of limited to, in, in terms of your ability to do that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> also, um, I want to speak about Fiona Lewis as the, uh, sure. the sort of, the sort of main uh, female villain in this. Yep. First off, she's absolutely fucking gorgeous and yep. underutilized in this film. There's not enough of her in this film. And no, I just, I, I just love that brief little scene where she gets a phone call from Kevin McCarthy and she's like, I'm busy. And then <laughs> it sort of moves to uh, obviously uh, Igor or whatever the fuck his name is. He's got the uh, vibrator attachment to his arm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That's in, in a movie in 1987. That that's 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 about as risque as you could get, you know, uh-huh. for, for this kind of for this kind of audience. Yeah, no, I I love her. I mean, really, I'm. I mean, it it, it does kind of speak to the way that these films just treat women. That like we don't. I mean, as much as I love Kevin McCarthy, we don't need him in this. I mean, Fiona no. Lewis could have just done that. She whole could have been the main villain. Know? Yeah, yeah. And the only reason uh, she's not is just because I mean. If you can get Kevin McCarthy and put him in your movie, like do it. But um, yeah. there, there is a little bit of a they want the they want the sort of buddy, you know, the the kind of bickering stuff towards the end once they're miniaturized, you know. Um, and so they, I think they did want that kind of element to it. I mean, it's it, for a film that's as um, kind of tight as this one is. I mean, I, I know it's a little bit over long, but it. it Again, it, it sort of moves from one set piece to another fairly well. Yeah, there are a lot of people in this, and there mm-hmm. are a lot of there. There are more characters than we really need in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think we we lose some of the um, a lot of the kind of because the core of the film is kind of the relationship, kind of this three way relationship between Lydia 
and tuck and putter. And I kind of feel like you could very easily, like again, sort of a modern, a more modern remake of this would rewrite the film to kind of be about these three people kind of understanding the situation they're in and kind of like learning about each other while going on this kind of adventure together. And so to some degree, we're kind of living in this kind of consequence of the film is just made when it's made. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just sort of the pattern that you had for, for movies of this era. Uh, it's unfortunate because I think I think all the actors are really good in this. I don't I don't have any Yeah, idea. and I think I think Robert Picardo especially deserves like a lot of credit for how well this film comes off because oh, yeah. he's essentially playing two different characters here. Because he, he's got his initial cowboy character, but then he has to be Martin Short pretending to be him, essentially. I uh, I, I kind of want you know Robert Picardo to be to play the Martin Short character. And Martin yeah. Short to play the Robert Picardo character because I believe Martin Short can play a ridiculous cowboy mm-hmm. at least as well as as Robert Picardo does. And um, not it, to not anything against Robert Picardo, but I would I would I mean if you're gonna do like big comedy, you know, cowboy guy who for some reason goes to like a metal themed yeah. like the Inferno club, yeah, that seemed completely realistic from that character in 1987. You know, he wouldn't yeah. go to a cowboy bar; he's gonna go to like the. Uh, the 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 dance club. Um, well, I mean, at the same time, he's he's a fake cowboy, uh, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, he he even says he's a fake cowboy because he's in the mirror, like saying, "I'm a fake cowboy. I don't, I can't fucking fucking lasso bulls and yeah, shit." Well, and he's a he's a he's a venture capitalist, so ultimately, yeah. you like fuck that guy, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the the performance is so great, and yeah, yeah. and and I think I the, mean, there there's a bit of brown face here. There there's there's a is. you know. I, I read it though as like this is a white guy putting on bronzer more so than you know <laughs> like I I read it as completely like this is not a guy who's actually you know supposed so to there, be so there's two or three levels of fakeness here is Robert Ricardo is the inception of fake fakeness it's, basically it's the inner perception. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the real man inside is the man inside Robert Picardo's cowboy character. <laughs> yeah, the, there there's a, there's like a sad damaged boy somewhere down below all that artifice underneath, underneath all those billions of dollars in miniaturization technology. Which I mean, I'm sure there are industrial applications for this, but this does you know it is it is kind of amusing that this is what Silicon Valley was supposed to be in like the popular imagination in 1987 like right. again a modern remake of this set in silicon valley would not look remotely like this you know yeah you know bill gates was not interested in making the apple computers interesting and shrinking people <laughs> <laughs> right. it's like and but i mean you know hey robert cardo he's, he's doing good for himself he, he introduced velcro to the persian gulf so uh, he, he's already set yeah. for life yeah, well, and clearly, clearly that was something they needed over there. You know? <laughs> yeah, a lot, you know, stuff sticking together. It's good stuff. Uh, Martin Short, I do. I mean, it seems like kind of big parts of this are uh, kind of improvisational. Yeah, I think if there's that's... one, if there's one bit that could really easily be cut, it's it's some of that him, kind of material. Him, him dancing, him dancing. Although it's such a like, I mean. You you get the Martin Short dancing sequence, which is ridiculous, but you also get Dennis Quaid inside the pod dancing and drinking, and that's fun. So you know you take yeah, the good no, with the bad, right? Quaid, you know? Quaid can pull it off, but I I don't need I can live the rest of my life never seeing Martin Short dance again. Yeah, and and, and that's me saying I'm a big fan of SCTV. I grew up right. watching that because that's kind of a Canadian institution. Sure. Um, yeah. But I I fucking hate Martin Short. 
I, <laughs> I hate him so much. I, I can't stand the motherfucker, but he's tolerable in this. But yeah. there, there are there are points where it's okay, dude. Rain it back a little bit. Just rain it back. <laughs> I now have a list of films we're definitely going to cover, including uh, Three you, Amigos you and mother- Clifford and uh... you, you motherfucker. <laughs> well, Three Amigos, I'll, I'll agree to. I'll agree yeah. to that because there, there's at least two half. There's a two thirds of the Three Amigos that are worth talking about. Definitely, definitely, yeah, no. Yeah, no, I kind of grew up on, I mean, I grew up on this movie, so I kind of grew up liking Martin Short. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's tiresome here, but I also, you know, I kind of have a, I have a bit of a soft spot for, you know, just kind of understanding, um, I think even more so when we get the batteries and included. I mean, this film is trying to sort of do that thing of appealing to adults of kind of having this sort of corporate espionage kind of plot, right. but also being like very, very kid friendly. And the way you did that in the eighties was basically have like a character who's just kind of a big kid who has mm-hmm. sort of like childlike concerns and just kind of wanders around life being kind of getting into scrapes. And uh, I think, I think there is uh, something to that, but God, now I really do want to see, I mean, because I think Martin short would have been really good as the cowboy. You know, I I could see him be that character. I do, I do really want to see the uh, the switch casting there. And Robert Ricardo then had a uh, a long career as uh, you know a, a comic uh, character in. Uh, yeah, and movies. I mean Robert Robert Ricardo can play a nebbish quite well. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have to look at Star Trek Voyager, and he he's he's totally that fucking just weirdo nerd kind of character, you know. Yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, this is something that we kind of run into with a lot of films from this era is that they they definitely needed a script polish, and I think yeah. that there is. An, I think there is an element of you know they spent a lot of time on on the special effects and they just weren't. They, I mean, I feel like there just wasn't a sense of like structuring scripts as as well as we sort of think is just natural now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if if this if this script was polished, I mean, I could have seen it cut down to like. 90 minutes or something like that right i mean it could easily be a 90 minute movie and it could easily be a 90 minute movie taking this basic concept and then doing you know the kind of more interesting things with kind of kind of let's do the interesting things and kind of leave the some of the broader comedy and some of the like kind of action scenes that go nowhere like the uh i'm jumping out of the uh the the refrigerated van you know (laughs) yeah yeah uh, standing on the um the car hood and all that stuff uh you know it's actually a pretty impressively directed scene i mean it's joe dante kind of proving he can do this and it's ridiculous and kind of fun on that regard but it's also like wow does this kind of go on forever and i'm ready to move on with (laughs) the rest of the film Um, Uh, yeah but i mean personally i i think this holds up pretty well all, all things considered, I, I think the special effects look really great in this. And oh, they still this actually won an Oscar for special effects. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Joe Dante's only Oscar, I think. His only Oscar, the only Oscar any of his films have ever, yeah, ever yeah. received. Joe Dante will will be remembered as something much more than kind of the way he's kind of considered today. I think. I, yeah, I think. yeah. I think I'm going to say this about both these films. You know, spoilers, but this has improved in my estimation from when I first saw it. And uh, like I said. I know you've watched this a lot more than I have. I quite enjoyed this. Like I, I wasn't bored. I even though it, you know it is overlong, I was still quite engaged with it for the two hours. And I think the performances are really good. I think the comedy is fairly downplayed to a level where it's fu- it's fun and it works. You know, there, there's a few problems here and there, but it's like minor quibbles for me and total recommendation. Yeah, no, I uh, for me it's just sort of embarrassing to kind of come back to these things that I loved so much as a kid, and like it's hard for me not to just kind of be in that same mindset when I rewatch right. them. 
I think I'm a little bit more critical of it just because I can see all the giant flaws in it kind of that I overlooked as a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wish the film kind of did things that were a little bit uh, more interesting, but I mean, it's, it's, it's for a two hour movie. It's a quick watch. It's an easy watch. Yeah. And um, I think you'll find there's a lot to enjoy, even in the stuff that maybe isn't uh, quite as polished and quite as clean as it, as it could be. I think there's a lot of stuff that, uh, that, pretty much anybody will enjoy. Um, just ignore the kind of casual misogyny of the film. And just like, <laughs> look at how great Meg, I mean, Meg Ryan, I just, I just want to point like Meg Ryan is absolutely amazing. And yeah. And she, like, she, she has a given, role. She's given nothing to work with. And I think mm-hmm. she pulls off that role so well, like that, that you buy it even when there's just nothing there for her to, to, to do. She, she's basically there to make Dennis Quaid go, Oh, she's pregnant. Now I have to buck up and be responsible. <laughs> I mean, she's she's basically just the uh, the object that Dennis Quaid gets uh, for like he's become a slightly less shitty person. Therefore, he gets <laughs> he gets the on Meg Ryan. That's the yeah. That that's the way this works. Um, and God, she looks great in that dance sequence. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just. Uh, I mean, but, this know. this is Meg Ryan at her absolute peak adorableness, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, and <laughs> Wendy, I do want to say Wendy Shaw. Yeah, the she's really character good. in her uh, at the dance sequence, you know, in her Madonna mm-hmm. gear, you know, oh, yeah. and, and there is a there is a a bit of um, I mean, we, we kind of like, she's such a minor character and she's not in very much of this. Um, this is not an actress who kind of went on to do a whole lot, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but I think there's some real talent there. I think there's a real character there. I mean, honestly, she gets a better character than Meg Ryan does in a lot of ways. Yeah, she, she does. does less of the movie hinges on her. So she's allowed to. But I really love the idea that she's like, you know. <laughs> She's this cashier at a, at a at a grocery store, like this little shitty grocery store. And then on her weekends, she goes out and she has this other persona that she takes on. And then she's really happy to see Jack there. She's like, "Oh, I didn't know you were in. This is cool." Yeah. Like she's responding in this really kind of authentic, positive way. And that's you know when the film ends and she just kind of gets dumped for no reason because clearly there's a spark between these two. I mean, it really it, it's a it's a real sour note in the film, just because I do yeah, like her a lot. Because I, I I wouldn't have dumped her. I'd be like, yeah, let's let's go because you, you're you're actually pretty introspective about yourself. Like you you know who you are. So it's like that's what I want in a woman. I want a woman who knows who she is. Let's let's yeah. do it. And she's yeah, interested no, me. Holy shit! Leave it there. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that's where it sits. So uh, budget was twenty seven million. Box office was twenty five million. Unfortunately. Um, th- this one picked up most of his reputation on VHS and TV screenings, so that's that's kind of where it's remembered best for. Uh, DVD info: There's a 2002 DVD and a 2015 Blu-ray from Warner Video. If you so choose to want to pick this up, a couple of trivia notes: um, Apparently, this is one of the rarest VHS releases to be done in widescreen back in the 80s. So apparently, oh. yeah. Uh, I, I, I believe that just because some of those shots. I mean, I I, I would have watched this in the pan and scan version that aired on HBO. You know, right? Um, that's the version I came up with. Honestly, like rewatching it. I mean, obviously, I rewatched it in widescreen, and I don't. Nothing jumped out at me. It's just like obviously different kind of shot. But I'm sure mm-hmm. there's stuff that that's definitely kind of easier to get across here, and in particular those kind of wide vistas of the um the, the big special effect shots from um inside the people's bodies. I would imagine. Um, right. Right. Definitely, kind of vastly superior in the in the kind of cleaned up widescreen version than uh, on the VHS. So, yeah, I could definitely see why they did this widescreen. Yeah, film's title, Inner Space, was derived from the script that 
the film that inspired it, basically, the 66 uh, Fantastic Voyage. In the film Fantastic Voyage, the term interspace was spoken at least twice. Also, just a mention on probably one of the best special effects sequences here. After Scrimshaw and Cart and uh, Kanker are shrunk 50%, the, the scenes in the back of the car... Those were done with forced perspectives, so basically they're like twenty <coughs> feet behind Martin Short and Meg Ryan. They're they're oh, they're no. like they're like twenty feet behind. So it's you know, it's a it's basically a forced perspective. Forced kind perspective. Of thing. And I mean, you can you can kind of tell it's it, like they're way behind, and then um, you know they've got little like arms that are mm-hmm. you know, like little fake fake hands. They're a little little off perspective, but. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. And also, but, but like as as a kid, I kind of, I mean, it looked, it didn't look real when I saw it as a kid. But you can, I kind of bought it anyway. Like it was a really cool looking effect, and mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the key with some of these special effects is, even if they don't really look real, they look cool. And yeah, I yeah, think yeah. That's yeah. The point of it, you know. And also, uh, John, Joe Dante has a cameo as the first employee of Vectroscope Lab attacked by the techno terrorists, where they're spraying the knockout gas on everybody. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's how corporate espionage works as well. You know, you you send in people in hard hats to like spray people with knockout gas, and apparently nobody calls the cops. It's just not there's not like they, they just kind of you know it's 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 a cyberpunk world. At this point. Daniel, they didn't have time. They were sprayed with knockout gas. <laughs> well, like on. later on, they don't call the cop. Like they're. Like, <laughs> Corporate espionage in reality works by people like suing each other over patents and spending years in litigation. You know, like no, no, fuck that. We're just gonna, you know, we're we're just gonna send people in to steal it, and this chip automatically works in our system, even though it's been developed completely independently, hypothetically. You know? mm-hmm. So yeah, um, it's 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 magic technology. Don't think about it too hard. It, it's fine. You know. Um, <laughs> No, I'm reading the Wikipedia page here, and apparently in the original script it was going to be Michael J. Fox inside Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, the I, th- I think they had actually a massive amount of different people they were thinking of for this, and I mean, that was one of them. It's funny. It's funny to imagine the, sort of the different versions of this. You know, if you think like in terms of 1987, like who's big, who would who would be, you know. Imagine like Tom Hanks instead of you know Martin Short. Yeah, instance. that would that would work better. But I mean, the funny thing is, Michael J. Fox. You didn't even have to shrink him. You just could have put him in Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger, and it's like <laughs> it really it, it should have been a Danny DeVito Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, two, three, <laughs> you know? But it should have been Arnold Schwarzenegger inside the inside pod, Danny, Danny DeVito. DeVito. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. You need that. You need that inversion. Yeah, that's good stuff. I'm stimulating <laughs> your adrenal gland. You're going to have the strength of 10 men. <laughs> <laughs> don't make out with a Meg Ryan. <laughs> don't worry. She don't want anything to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to move on now to Batteries Not Included from 1987. The residents of 817 East 8th Street are about to lose everything they have. What do you mean those tenants are still in there? Tonight. I'll have them out by tonight. Nothing in this world can save them. Nothing but a miracle. Steven Spielberg presents a Matthew Robbins film. Welcome to America. Spaceships from a very small planet. Very small. This is history. 
Machines that reproduce themselves. I like being a family again. What the hell is that? It's them, <laughs> the little guys. I don't know how you got here or why you picked us. Somebody's helping them. Somebody's bringing them together. Is that why you're here? Batteries not included. Starring Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy. Directed by Matthew Robbins. Written by Mick Garris, which actually kind of surprised me to see his name on this one. As I didn't realize he was doing stuff that early. Brad Bird, Matthew Robbins, Brent Maddock, and S.S. Wilson. It's starring Hume Cronin as Frank Riley. Jessica Tandy as Faye Riley. Frank McRae as Harry Noble. Elizabeth Pena as Marista Esteval. Dennis fuck your last name, as Mason Baylor, uh, Michael Carmine as Carlos, John Panknow as Kovacs, Michael Green as Lacey, Tom Eldridge as Sid Hodginson, and Wendy Shaw as Pamela. The synopsis for this is, the tenants of a dilapidated New York City apartment house are being forced to vacate by the owner and developer of a surrounding property. A family of alien robots who are wizards at repairing things first find a home with the tenants and then come to the rescue. And yeah, that's fairly good uh, yeah. synopsis. I think. Yeah. Daniel, when's the first time you watched this and what's your, what's your sort of general opinion on it? Um, really similar kind of story. Uh, one that I recorded off HBO in that kind of time period. And as a kid, I always liked the, uh, just the robots. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, again, this is one that even more than inner space, I think kind of lives and dies on the, on the strength of its special effects. Right. That was kind of the big selling point. And it's even more, sort of heavily kid-friendly, which then has a, a very kind of adult, almost sociopolitical plot that is that yeah. is sort of like surrounding it, but then ultimately like, and then the baby robot has a piece of cheese dropped on it. It's like a cheeseburger. <laughs> and then, you know, like, so it has, it has a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, this is, this is very, uh, this, this started life as a uh, amazing stories kind yeah. of treatment. It was going to be an episode of amazing stories. And then uh, they, they kind of expanded it and you can kind of see how um, the 30 minute version of this would have been interesting, but would not have really given the, concept justice i mean i I think you could Mm -hmm. probably uh basically take the first 45 minutes of this film and kind of compress it into 30 and kind of turn that into an amazing stories but i think it would it would lose a lot of the heart and it would lose a lot of the kind of the the momentum of the the story overall re-watching this i i mean i rewatched it this morning and uh quite liked it i mean it's it's sort of has the issue of it's kidified. It's it's a little bit too heavily kid friendly. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of you know a lot of the kind of silliness of the the flying robots and um, it kind of works on that kid logic. But at the same time, I really kind of fell in for this story of this uh, kind of elderly couple, Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy, and kind of sort of their relationship and kind of following the the lives of these people living in this building. In particular, um, <laughs> I'm going to try this name, Dennis Butsikaris. Uh, as Mason Baylor, the artist, and then Elizabeth Pena, and I, I mean, I, I have a, I, I love Elizabeth Pena, yeah, and she's she's good, and uh, unfortunately, she died a few years ago. Um, Did she? Yeah, she died in 2014. Oh shit! Um, yeah, no, but uh, she's in a uh, Lone Star, which is a film we definitely have a yeah. cover. She, she's got a key role in that, and. I love the understated relationship that these two have. There's definitely a sort of time compression going on, but I mean, there's, there's a very uh, kind of 
real kind of feeling to all the relationships in this film. Mm-hmm. That, that these are people who are kind of all living in one building. They're all kind of sharing each other's lives to some degree. And then this is a community that comes together. And then when the aliens land, they just kind of get accepted into the community because, hey, we're all we're all immigrants here. We're all kind of weirdos. And like, hey, it's it's fine, you know. And yeah. you don't get the sense that like, oh, the robots come in and they're like just sort of doing the work of repairing things and that's all anybody cares about you I and mean, you get a sense of sort of real warmth that people have yeah. here particularly jessica tandy's character is a fey i mean there's a little bit of like screenwriters dementia going on here yeah i was gonna talk about that very i mean i guess i guess we'll get into that here in a minute i won't i won't kind of dig into that but i do love the relationships um probably the one character who um i love just for the actor Frank Murray is Harry Noble. McRae mm-hmm. is Harry Noble. Gets to be both the Magic Negro character and the Gentle Giant character. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so he's two stereotypes of, of black people uh, in the movies. Yeah. In one, um, and yet, uh, just like with Meg Ryan and in, in our space, I kind of follow along with the the, the performance. I think the mm-hmm. performance kind of makes it work. I, I hate the stereotype, but I kind of love the character anyway. And partly that's kind of like I always I always loved him growing up with it. But he's definitely this kind of stereotypical figure in the film and, and that that weakens it but he's also he's so lovable and so it's kind of it's difficult to take too many points off because it, it kind of works in context but um it's it's a little bit unfortunate but um yeah that's that's kind of like i like it i like i like this film and i think it i think it works really well overall like i said i, I hadn't seen this one for a long time i think the last time i saw it, it was as it, a kid it's getting on 30 years since I've seen this. Like, it's, yeah. this movie is is 30 years old. It's getting on 30 years since I've seen this. I, I, I think when I last saw this, I think Walt Disney used to have, like, their Sunday movie night or whatever. They used to be on ABC or whatever. And I think that's when I last saw it. I think it was shown on something like that. It was like the Walt Disney Presents yeah, you see it airing on TV occasionally, and I think I actually saw it was like re-airing like one of the pay cable or one of the um, mm-hmm. ABC family or whatever the free form I think is what they're calling it now. But there are a, a bunch of kind of channels that would just kind of air old movies like this, particularly family movies around the the Christmas season. Right. And so I think I saw it airing and went, "Oh, I haven't seen that in literally like most of my life." And uh, wouldn't it be nice? But I definitely was not a teenager the last time I saw this film. So mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. And yeah. really when you think about it, this isn't really a sci-fi film i mean the, these uh alien machines they could be fairies or ghosts you know like yeah. you you could you could substitute that very easily but the thing that really struck me about this rewatching is it's actually a really good kitchen sink drama kind of mm-hmm. idea with you know just normal working class people all stuck together basically struggling through uh and trying to persevere through just normal everyday problems kind of thing and it's it's a really nice little sort of uh collection of characters working off each other all the actors in this are really good i mean hume cronin and jessica tandy who are a real life couple they're just fucking immaculate the, uh, they, they were married for 50 years and yeah. watching them you can you can tell they were they were married mm-hmm. for 50 years. going on the I actually uh, love hume cronin it's kind of amazing to see a man of that age like carry a film like this the way he does his physical acting in this is exceptional yeah. i mean because he's a character who has a short temper and at times he just goes off the fucking rails and like starts kicking furniture over and shit like that and right. um it's like you're, you're kind of surprised to see that happen um Jessica Tandy, the mental illness aspect of this is probably the, honestly, the only really 
outside of uh, the Magic Negro stuff, is probably the only real downfall of this because half of it is good and half it's really bad. It, I, call, I call it screenwriters, you know, dementia, just mm-hmm. because it's it's sort of there when it's convenient and not there when it's not That's convenient. That's the thing. It feels like the film's telling you it's kind of cured by the end of the film. Almost kind of makes you think it was brought on because of the pain over losing her son. It, right. it, it kind of gives you that idea. I don't think necessarily it was intentional by by the filmmakers to put that idea forth, but I think it kind of comes through that way. Where it's I like, mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it wasn't like intended by them. I mean, well, I, if I, if it wasn't, then are then well fuck the filmmakers because that's kind of insulting but i mean the way that mental illness is treated in films particularly it was treated in films in that era yeah this is sort of magic realism kind of films like this i mean of course she's got a mental illness she's got you know and it's all going to be fixed by the end because that's how we get a happy ending i'm I'm actually um, i'm actually surprised one of the fucking aliens didn't land on her head and fix her brain when I was rewatching this, I was like, "Oh my god, they're not actually going to do that." I don't remember that, but yeah. like I, you know, like I, I was kind of on that. Um, so I was, I was also scared that they were going to try that. Honestly, the thing that sells that for me and the reason I'm kind of giving it a pass on it is just because I think Jessica Tandy's really. Good. Oh yeah, her, no, her performance is great. And here's the thing, Laura, I said like half of it's really good and half it's really bad. Her performance is spot on. Like it's it's so good. I think I, I mentioned a couple episodes ago one of the movies I had watched recently, which dealt with the same kind of issues yeah. with with dementia. That's something that I've experienced in real life to a real yeah. horrifying degree in my own personal life. And her performance is great. It is really invocative of what it, it is it is like to, it's, to it's, be with it's something like, like it's that. It's painful to watch. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever known someone with, you know, with kind of disabilities, or if you've ever been like a kind of a, a caretaker of someone, you know, yeah. the way he has to like get her to take her medicine and, you know, like, oh, well, you know, so so it's not here anymore. And like, I'm going to be that person now. And, you know, Oh well, they always play the red record when we do this, and that's what I mean. It, it's it's really well observed to that degree, you yeah. know. Like scene for scene, it, it works. You know, it's just sort of when you when you look at the the sort of big picture of what it what's kind of ultimately saying. I do appreciate that they didn't kind of go for the oh well, her dementia is really like like she's uh, she's seeing a world that the rest of the the rest of the people aren't seeing because yeah. like, she's kind of the first to to really interact with the aliens, and so it could have been like. Oh, he really is our son, and like all these things that I, you know, yeah. like, like, could have gone in that direction, which is even more horrifying, right? You know, to to deny the reality of that. But um, also, I I will say, kind of ends on an interesting note where it doesn't necessarily conclude where everybody's dancing in the streets or whatever at the end of the mm-hmm. film and all happy. Like it shows that that building survives at the end. But it doesn't really let you know what happens to the characters. Like you just kind of, yeah. kind of assume because you you never know what happens to Dennis Botrakakadakarakaris and uh, fucking. <laughs> you can just call him Mason. Just call him the artist. yeah. It's just Mason and Mason and Marissa. You you d- you don't really know if they necessarily get together. It's, it's I, I like to think they're going to grow up to be uh, the characters of perfect timing. Like that's my that's my. <laughs> That's, that's perfect. Yeah, I love that. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, let's, let's reference the single most obscure film we've ever covered on this podcast as often as possible. Hey, shit, what else are we gonna do, man? But yeah, I really do love this film quite a bit. I was uh, I was quite touched by the performances. I I, I really did enjoy them, this, despite some of the the issues I have with it. I think overall, this is uh, a really good family film. 
and yep. not only a really great family film, but a, a film adults can appreciate as well. Yep. Um, well, at this I time, like, like the way you write these things is you kind of give like the sequences for the kids to watch, right? Teaching the robots how to fly stuff and the, you know. The, like, the robots are really cute and interesting, but there, there's something deeper that they don't really hint at with the robots as well. Because at one point, Mason takes the magnifying glass and looks inside the robot. Mm-hmm. And you see there's way more shit going on inside those things yeah. as well. Almost like... There's a bunch of those little fucking robots going on in that fucking robot. Well, and they have the ability to, like, form little pieces of themselves and, like, mm-hmm. you know, transforming. Their whole repair ability seems to be based on their ability to just sort of morph appearance and morph structure and, you know, kind of... Well, like, they grow arms when they need them and then they don't have them yeah, for the rest of the time. I mean, this, this, is, this, is a, this is a very... Uh, which is, is kind of in tune with late 80s kind of stuff. This is a very pro-recycling film. Because the robots basically goes right along with Cherry Two Thousand. It's the it's the flip side of Cherry Two (laughs) Thousand. Yeah, because the robots are always stealing metal pieces of of whatever you know, like toasters and pots and shit, and they're basically refurbishing them for their own desires and to help repair the building and stuff, also to reproduce ultimately. Yeah, and it's really neat. There's a lot of interesting thought going behind the actual alien robots in this, and the idea of them being you know synthetic mechanical life forms that can reproduce which is a which is just a cool idea it's, it's kind of interesting that mason for a brief time is like a total dick whereas no shit let's dig up this dead robot body and exploit it and like i mean it's not it's not a bad impulse honestly yeah, you know, I get the impulse to be like, this is this amazing thing and we need to like understand what it is. But in the context of Marissa being pregnant, it's, you know, right. it, oh, yeah, it yeah. throws up that dramatic. Well, and then, um, and then Frank, our pretty Harry Noble, like he, he takes the, he takes the thing, he takes the, the, the body, mm-hmm. um, the, the little, the aborted baby or the, the stillborn baby, I guess is what you yeah. call it. Um, and that's actually a little touching moment when like the, the mama robot, although they're like such like overtly gendered, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> The girls and the boys, you can tell the difference between them. There's a very, like, clear gendering thing going on, which is slightly uncomfortable since they're robots, but it's, you know, it's production design, it's fine. No, he, he kind of takes the body, and then he, like, takes it to his place, and then there is kind of this, oh, what is he doing with this? And I think they're, again, only in the performance do you kind of see that there's actually not something kind of negative going on here. It's all... Yeah, like, he's, 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 trying he's, to fix just, it. Uh, he's just a tinkerer, and he, and he wants to help. I just love the scene of breaking down his TV and pulling all the yeah. wires out and shit, because he needs <laughs> parts to help bring it back to life and then and ultimately what it is it, it's almost like a weird kind of frankenstein yeah. moment or whatever where where the the thing gets catapulted into his sink full of soap and then all these different chemicals fall into the sink and that's what brings it back to life which is yeah, yeah. And then, it, then it crawls through the uh the pipes the and... what do you think about the uh the, the character who's the uh, essentially the thug who's being hired to uh try to get all these old people out of their apartment and shit. Uh, Carlos, he's um, yeah. Michael Carmine, yeah. who died just a few years after this film was made, unfortunately. Oh, Jesus Christ, another one. Fuck. <clears throat> yeah, this is the thing with doing old films, is that everybody's dead, right? <laughs> but, you know. And you know what? Uh, but but he was only life. thirty years old when he died. Like oh, I, I was just looking him up on Wikipedia. Like he's he's like twenty seven or twenty eight here. He died like two years later. It's, it's... And, and 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 for the longest time, I thought he was um, a really prominent Latino actor. I'm totally fucking blank on his name. He's actually in this film as an extra at the end of the film. I don't know if you have the IMDb up or not. <laughs> I, I think I we already think... had the IMDb discussion. I have the Wikipedia page open. Yeah, I don't even think he's credited. But what the fuck is his name? Because he's. 
and and I'm I'm hating myself for blanking on well, his look, fucking name. Look it up, and I'll and I'll and I'll talk about this character. Louis Guzman. Louis Guzman. Louis Guzman. Yeah, no. that's what that's who I thought he it was looks like. Kind of a skinny stuff. Louis Guzman. Yeah, no, I could I yeah. could see that. Could see Louis that. Guzman is at the end when the building is recreated, and he's in the crowd. Oh, nice! I never yeah. I missed that. Yeah, no, that's that's fuck! Awesome. I can't believe I blanked on that. That's I, I'm. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know who you're talking about, so I can't really uh, mm-hmm. help you out there. But no, I actually really like this character. I really like how conflicted he is, and it's uh, basically there's this Trump-like developer. Yeah, who I said, you know, who in the late '80s, Trump was known as this sort of hostile takeover kind of developer guy, who's basically hiring one half of the poor to kill the other half. Right? Yeah, like, he basically got these. You know, he's got this sort of like, you know, it's at least this sort of multi-ethnic game of gang of t- toughs. It's mm-hmm. uh, not quite. I hired the like the Latin kings to go in, and, like, yeah. you know, kill other people. <laughs> that would be a little um, too on the nose. On the nose, it's, yeah, it's a little bit on the nose. But uh, I was I was afraid that that would be an element of this. But uh, it's not. They, they do have like the the gang is is you know fairly multi ethnic. There's a white guy, there's a black guy, and then a bunch of people who speak Spanish. But you've also got one of our leads, one of our, our good guys, um, Elizabeth Pena. Obviously, she's uh, she's Hispanic and she uh, speaks yeah. some Spanish and, and kind of gives us like that side of it. I really love that he's a full fledged character. I really love that he's conflicted. I really love that he's not very good at his job <laughs> in some ways. They just kind of hired him to come in, and I love that uh, he of, of all the characters in the film, he has the most uh, interesting arc. And uh, yeah. I think it's a good performance. I think he's got some some real moments of tenderness, particularly with Jessica Tandy. Um, towards the middle, like when she's calling him Bobby, and like he's mm-hmm. kind of sitting at the, and uh, you think there there might be a moment there, and then it kind of ends up. But he's also uh, then towards the end when he's trying to save her life, and he's uh, well, you know, yeah, he, he's he's a, he's a character as obviously has like a lot of pent up rage in him. Yeah. Um, but you know there are moments where you know Jessica Tandy's character kind of breaks him down, where where yeah. he, you know starts getting very connected, and sh- and it's 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 a very kind of nuanced performance. It, there's no one note to this performance at all. Yeah. It's, it's actually pretty goddamn good. And I'm actually kind of surprised because considering this was going to be like uh, a ama- an amazing stories episode. The Amazing Stories episodes were much more uh, garnered towards just kind of anthology, almost horror to a certain degree in some of the Mm -hmm. episodes. So you almost kind of feel like he would have met a really bad end if it had been like an Amazing Story episode. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Where he, he, he would have died up in the roof, yeah, you know, yeah, or something like that. Or he would have, you know, they he would have gotten his comeuppance because he would have been mm-hmm. the ultimate bad guy. You wouldn't have gotten the larger story. Yeah, just looking at it, Carmine died of AIDS-related illnesses oh, in okay. 1989, so uh, he was one of the victims of the AIDS crisis. Fuck you, Ronald Reagan. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, yeah, um, unfortunate. Great actor. Yeah, no, I mean, really, and I mean, you look at his Wikipedia page, he's got a handful of credits, he's not, I mean, this is probably his biggest role, Yeah, Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of depressing, but um, he's great here, and I mean, definitely worth, I mean, this one was almost worth checking out, just to kind of check out, I mean, yeah. Wrapping up, I mean, not, I mean, we we don't have to wrap up necessarily, but, you know, just kind of giving a big picture, I mean, this film, the effects are phenomenal, like, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, for for this era, you know, for this kind of piece, pre-CGI era, there's a lot of really great effects work. They um, hold up really good. I didn't see any edges on this shit. Yeah. Some of the, I mean, some of the scenes are definitely like you can kind of tell they did like stop motion and then sort of mm-hmm. blue screened it in. Yeah, particularly like when the babies are walking around and there are like actors yeah. moving around in the same shot. But, but it still looks pretty good. 
And, uh, you know, particularly, again, the flying sequence, the sort of the animatronic work, um, the, the puppetry work, I guess, is, is mm-hmm. kind of more what they're doing. I mean, sometimes you can kind of tell, you know, like kind of, oh, there's somebody off camera just holding the thing and, like, moving yeah. it around. But that's fun stuff. And uh, particularly, like, the flying sequences and the, the sound design, like, of them of them hovering and stuff. That sort of adage holds true, though, that if you can physically see it interacting with the rest of the movie, you can buy into it a lot more than oh, you yeah. can with CGI, right? I mean, that's well, just... That. The thing is, we know, like, today, of course, they do it completely with CGI. Yeah. And it would look seamless, mm-hmm. to the degree, seamless. But because you know it's done with CGI, it looks like everything looks kind of, like, vaguely unimpressive, right? You, you get know? a little bit of Uncanny Valley. Whereas here, because you know it's... Well, it's, it's just, well, of course it looks phenomenal. That's what CGI does. It makes this thing look phenomenal, you know? Whereas uh, when you know it's, like, an actual puppet and they had to be kind of clever about how they constructed it and all these scenes had to be meticulously planned out. And this is only a $25 million movie. Like, this is not, like, a... A, uh, even even adjusted for inflation, that's about fifty million dollars. So that's yeah. this is not a, a super expensive film. It looks it looks phenomenal, and I and I, and I do you know I do think it this is worth seeing both for the special effects and for these the for the performances. Just, yeah, just for the performances. And, uh, I mean, even just for you know Cronin and Tandy and uh, mm-hmm. Carmine, well, and and Elizabeth. Oh God, I mean, it's 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 a great cast. It's it's yeah. it's actually um, the the guy from uh, Mad About You. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, John Pankow, who I just, I, uh, you know, I kind of grew up with the Man About You, or not grew up, but like in my teenage years, I watched a lot of Man About You, so I always, I always love that guy showing up in films because he's like cousin Ira. But um, yeah, I, I just, I just love the uh, the construction worker, or whatever, who oh, throughout the film, you know, he's just so indignant. Like he obviously hates these motherfuckers he's working for. Yeah. So, so yeah. any chance he gets to fucking throw mud in their face, he takes it, which is his. I love, I love. He has the one of the best lines at the end is where it's like, you know, "What do you want to do? You've, yeah. It's gone. It's down. We don't, we don't move till he leaves. Yeah, we don't know? move till he moves. Yeah, and and that's it's such a. I mean, I don't know. That's it's one of those you know political emotion kind of things, you know, where like it, it really is. It's that moment of solidarity. It's like, look. I know what my job is, but I still have this humanity in me and I'm going to enforce this and I'm gonna, and I'm not, I'm not doing shit until this guy decides it's time for him to move on. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you can, you can sort of sympathize with the workers because they're just doing a job and they don't necessarily like it any more than anybody else, but they're, they're basically, they're, they're like Hugh Cronin and Jessica Tanny and all them. They're, they're stuck in a position where they have to do this. It's almost Otherwise, like we're all trapped in this like capitalist hellhole. Yeah, really. Like, like, it's kind of weird, it's eh? Almost, it's almost like all of us are trapped in this system. And if yeah. only we all had magic robots that would come and save our <laughs> lives, then you know <laughs> things would be better. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it, it is this whole film is really just a metaphor for automation, ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> magic alien robots are going to come and save us all from the vicissitudes of uh capitalist exploitation that's yeah the, uh, i the i do movie. love i do love how the like basically the alien family uh you get the idea that they're kind of offended at the end oh shit you 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 let our you know you let shit go sour and, and yeah. we hate you we're leaving but no they come back basically their whole race and comes yeah. back and rebuilds well, they the back, building. They come back with their buddies, you know. They come back yeah. with with the other, and the, the aliens definitely just kind of become, you know, they're they're kind of just cutesy. After the dude puts an axe through him and then he gets repaired, I mean, he's pissed. 
Mm-hmm. And you can you kind of get that moment of no, we are leaving. This is over. I really wish that we'd gotten a little bit more. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I wish we got a little bit more of a sense of them as characters. Kind of, kind of, like, kind of uh, feels like there should have been like a uh, sort of more connect communication wise between them. Yeah, maybe there would have been some sort of dialogue established beyond just right. I'm glad we didn't get one of them like squeaks at the other and then they they like you know <laughs> yeah. get, like a subtitle underneath or something. I'm glad that they are sort of voiceless. I mean it's 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 a complicated kind of question. Like, you know, is it do you want to turn them into like such caricatures where they're literally squeaking at each other or something? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to just kind of turn it into uh they just kind of like we just kind of get the point of what's going on. Yeah, here. ultimately I appreciate the fact that we don't know that much about them. It's just and but at the same time there's there's enough depth there where they're actual characters, they're not just magic fairy yeah. beings, you know. Yeah. You you get the sense that there's actually because j- just from that big scene of where the shit ton of them show up all of a sudden where they're all markedly kind of different. Yeah, yeah. So so you get you get that kind of idea of a whole race of these things where they look different and so they're all individuals and they're all coming down to, you know, help out or whatever. But I mean, you, you get a sense of a whole society and a race and yeah. th- there is something there. There's enough there. Uh, but yeah, um, batteries not included way better than I remembered. Not that I hated it when I was young because I always kind of liked it, but it was, you know, pleasant surprise to come back to it and revisit it, and I liked it a lot. If you're really gonna watch one of these, I mean, Better Side Included is definitely the one to watch. And uh, there's a real, uh, there's a real heart to it. I mean, I think that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the first time this podcast, unless I'm missing one, I think this is the first time we're even touching Spielberg. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And both of these films have Spielberg as an executive producer, which I didn't realize that Batters Included was Spielberg, um, but mm-hmm. obviously it's Spielberg. Both of these films kind of have this sci-fi technology kind of combined with a kind of very traditional story in yeah. a lot of ways. And uh, particularly in Batters Included, it's a very kind of old school kind of thing. I mean, this is, you can imagine this being a sort of family drama made in 1952. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like there's exactly. there's nothing, I mean, even though it's it, it's very 80s in terms of its uh, conception, in terms of what's kind of going on sociopolitically and um, in terms of like uh, these old buildings being torn down. I mean, it's not hard to imagine this being like an Elliot Kazan film, like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, with, sort of, with them younger. And um, one thing that I kind of come, come across is like, I don't know that I've seen Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy in anything other than, the cocoon movies. I don't know if Jessica Tandy's in Driving Miss Daisy, and then this. Yeah. I mean, what, I know we're we're talking about doing the uh, Dorothy Malone. We're going to do some Dorothy Malone films uh, mm-hmm. at some point here. I think I'd like to do uh, to do some more of these kind of old school actors, particularly like do some Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy stuff. Kind of see them when they're young and kind of get a better sense of them, you know, kind of before. Because this is, I mean, it's kind of astonishing that these two people um, had such a late career resurgence. I mean, you know, Hume Cronin, I think is like 86 years old at the time that this film was made, you know? Well, um, uh, yeah, yeah, Tandy lived to about 95, I think, and Cronin died in 2001, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So he was, Cronin was born in 1911, so he was, okay, so he was like 70, 76, so 76, not 86, but still, yeah. like, he's, to, to imagine that, and then he's the lead in a fifty million dollar movie adjusted for inflation, right? And uh, Jessica Tandy was two years older, so she's seventy eight at this point. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, 
both of them, I mean, most of their careers was probably taken up in movies between the 40s and the 60s. And then as their careers kind of slow down where they're just getting parts here and there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's always amazing to see people at that at that age who get to come back and, and be in movies and really, and, and again, they both, they're both phenomenal. Like there's no, there's no hint of, you know, kind of phoning it in or whatever. I mean, these are people who got the chance to kind of be in some big movies or late in their lives and uh, they seem to be really enjoying it. And particularly, I mean, I think, I think uh, Hugh Corn. I mean, I cannot say enough how much I, I just love his performance. I mean, you're no, talking you, about the physicality you, of it. Yeah, you, you totally get his character. You, you get everything he's thinking and feeling. You watch him the way he like gives her the medicine. You know, like you kind of watch mm-hmm. even just the way he sleeps. You kind of get this guy. I mean, he he feels like this very lived in man who has lived this life. I mean, there's this is this is not a an unsophisticated performance. And I, uh, I uh, like, like I said, uh, being a person who has experienced taking care of someone with mental illness, his performance is spot on. Like I, I, I feel what he's feeling yeah. very much. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. And um, you know, we, we don't have to talk too much about that, but I mean, I think we both have experiences similar to that. Yeah. Um, for, yeah sort ways. of, you know, taking care of people. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, no, I uh, definitely want to check out some more Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy films, and I really like Batteries Unincluded, and I, I still kind of like Inner Space. I, I think it's... Yeah, a, no, I like I, both. I'd actually like to do Batteries Unincluded. Um, I think it would be a really nice companion piece to Up, the Pixar film. Um, that's... Yeah, that's kind of... That yeah, I mean, and work. It, yeah. is, it is interesting how Up kind of does the same general concept, but, you know, kind of treats it slightly differently. Um, but it's it's sort of like, you can imagine that as the, like, modernized... This is the way we do these now, where, you know, we kind of do the uh, the adult stuff, and then we just sort of integrate, like, kind of the kid-friendly material to sort of, like, uh, alongside yeah. it. And this is, and I mean, I'm glad that Hume Cronin is not like a garrulous old man with like a small child running around, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, both are both centrally, they're, they're kind of about lifelong relationships and the memories of those relationships. And I mean, you can argue that if you're living with someone with that sort of degree of mental illness, you're kind of living with their ghosts. Oh, definitely, and, definitely. Yeah, and, yeah. and so that 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 kind of resonates very well. Yeah. I th- I so, think, yeah. So I think I think this would be a really nice. I mean, I almost like watch batteries unincluded and think this is a movie that grandparents would take their children, their their grandchildren to. Yeah, right? yeah. you know, because it, it's kind of. But I mean, and again, but it's really got some interesting stuff. Again, I love the relationship between the artist and Elizabeth Pena's character. Yep. I, and so I, I would say like, there's not much for people kind of that middle range, but, but I mean, I think, I think that it's just good drama. So anybody kind of mm-hmm. interested in, in a, in a good kind of dramatic thing, you know, in, in some, in some nice little comic moments and uh, yeah. I don't know, some great performances and it's not, it's kind of a small movie, you know, there's not mm-hmm. kind of a big point that I think it's trying to make. It's just telling the little story of this, these characters who end up in this situation and kind of the way things go. But I think it has real dramatic pleasures because of that. You know, yeah. it has real, there's a real weight to it. And uh, this will definitely be one I'll be revisiting. Um, maybe not soon, but I'll definitely revisit it down the line. Inner space. I might be done with. I've seen that one so many <laughs> fucking times. I might kind of never sit down in inner space again. Um, but if someone in Hollywood wants to hire me to write, the uh the good version the the more <laughs> modern version like uh you you can find few people who know that film as intimately as i do and i will i can rewrite that for you i will rewrite it for cheap 
So you know, JJ Abrams, get on, get on this <laughs> shit. Get him to write this shit. Oh, you direct God. it. Do all the lens flare you want to fucking do, but <laughs> in, in, lens flare inside some dude's colon. <laughs> Can we do a stick it where the sun sun don't shine joke? You know, and that's where you get all the lens flares. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. Uh, so budget for batteries not included was twenty five million. <clears throat> Box office was sixty five point one million. So it did fairly well for itself yeah. given the time. That's a um, moderate hit. I mean, that you know, yeah. and again for a movie that's got like seventy six year old man as it's its lead. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty impressive. Kind of unheard of for the 80s kind of um dvd in 2004 and 2013 from universal studios apparently there's no blu-ray as far as i can tell at least not in north america uh, the the surge of interest coming from this podcast talking about it yeah people will demand a (laughs) blu-ray perhaps who knows but uh yeah so uh i think we can uh close off here not sure what we're doing next week might be enemy mine. We'll we'll see if we can uh, yeah convene with uh, one Kit Power and get that uh, worked yeah, he, out. He's definitely he's going to show up and do enemy mine. So we'll see if he can show up. If uh, what's the other one? What are we talking about doing? Or do we have another title? Uh, we we, we had a list, but I'm blanking on it because I'm kind of yeah, drunk. So. Yeah, no, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, but, no need to announce it here on the on the on the show. Yeah, that's fine. Ne- ne- next episode, shit will happen. Yeah, oh. it'll be Enemy Mine, or it'll be something else that's from the '80s or '90s and has a sci-fi theme. And yeah, there you go. You know, and, and it may and be you, two things like that. Might be, might be two. If if it's Kit Power, it's going to be one thing. If it's just us, it's going to be two things. Um, but yeah, uh, TMB DOS dot com. Uh, Daniel, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Uh, I just recorded a new episode of Wrong with Authority, which is the podcast I do with my British friends about mm-hmm. movies about history and the history they're about. We, uh, I don't know when that's going to get released. Probably this will be released first, but be looking out for a Gangs of New York episode of Wrong with Authority uh, in, your, in your feed very shortly. Awesome. And you know, I, I did the ending in the wrong order. Usually um, I ask you what you're doing first and where to find you, and then I say go to tmbdos.com podme.com uh yeah i I, I totally fucked by the way we were just on badasses boobs and body counts earlier tonight and we did the zodiac killer with mike murphy iris and mark and it was a fun episode and that should be up before you hear this episode usually there's a very quick turnover with uh, mr mike murphy and so that should be up sunday so by the time you hear this, the Badasses, Boobs, and Body Count episode with us in it should also be available, and we will link to that motherfucker, and you should listen to it, because we're equally great in that as we are in this. We're equally great in that, but less drunk, because we did that one first. So. Yeah, we were much more sober then. <laughs> I started that podcast completely sober. I was trying to be a professional for that one, so, you know. Oh. Although I didn't take any notes. You took notes, so there is... There's yeah, a... no, but you did a good job either, either way. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Let's not start sucking each other's dicks here. Oh, so I think it's a little too late. <laughs> All right. Found a, yeah. We're done. We're done. Yeah, yeah. Next so week, Next week, we will do something for your listening pleasure. Yeah, so uh, thank you everyone for listening, and we will be back when we're back. Goodbye.